0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Today's episode of the Believe in Steelers show is brought to you by betonline.ag. They'll take care of all of your gambling needs this offseason. A lot of great NFL futures to bet on. If you want to place a bet on any of the sports action, betonline.ag is the place to do it. Use our promo code BELIEVE. You can see that on your screen right now. That's B L E A V to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Welcome into the Believe in Steelers show. I'm your host, Mark Bergen. Very, very excited to be joined by today's guest. When I first started hosting the Believe in Steelers show with Ike Taylor back in 2019, he was one of the first Steelers reporters. For Steelers media members, I followed on Twitter. Excellent insight, info, and analysis. Very, very excited to welcome in Alex Kazora from Steelers Depot. Alex, it's the off season. We're still several weeks away from training camp, but welcome into the program. Thanks for joining me this morning.
1: So close so far. It feels like camp is right there, but yeah, can't wait for, for things to pick up. And thanks so much for having me on, Mark.
0: Absolutely. And I want to start really with like your fandom of the Steelers, because you've been doing this for several years now. I think you have terrific insight on your social media channels. But like, how did your Steelers fandom start to and then we'll get to where you're going now. But take me back when you were a kid watching football. Imagine watching Steelers football. How did that begin for you?
1: Yeah, I wish I had a great story. Some people, some Steelers fans, because they're all over the country, have really cool stories. I don't have one of those. I just grew up in Pittsburgh. I was born in Florida. I moved to Pittsburgh when I was about three. And I think just the geography of it all is how that happened. But for me... As you might be able to tell from my, my my stature, I am not a football player. I don't have the build of a, of a nose tackle. And so uh, <laughs> instead, of, instead of playing football, I was somebody that loved kind of the stat side and to talk football, analyze it, and I've always kind of had that that eye. And so I remember back in the Willie Parker days, writing down box scores and numbers and telling my friends at lunch the next day. And they didn't care, but I was just telling, telling them anyway. So um, that's kind of where it came from. And obviously, it's evolved into turning it into a job.
0: I know you went to school in Pennsylvania for college. How did you then say, okay, I'm going to take that love and passion for the Steelers to say, let me get into the content game. Walk me through that that part of your life in terms of your coverage of the Steelers. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, yeah, what it goes back to is what I do now, I was essentially doing for fun in high school. I have to be the last guy to buy a VCR because what I would do at my mom's house growing up is I would record Steelers games on her old VCR that was like just 30 years old. And I would go back and rewatch games. Then when I went to college, I, I was leaving the house, obviously. So I bought a VCR, like the last one that they had to go watch Steelers games while I was in college. Ultimately, some of the NFL Game Pass stuff came out, didn't really need that. but um, So I was doing that just kind of for fun on the side and then just writing for forums and just smaller blogs and things like that. And then partnered up with Steelers Depot and kind of took off from there. So um, it just kind of slowly evolved over time from just for fun, just for myself and then for a small audience. And it's kind of grown and grown in, into what it is today.
0: Obviously, you grew up in the area, very rabid fan base. That's something I experienced pretty early on where it's just like, whoa, this is a fan base in a culture that's accustomed to winning. From the coverage standpoint, though, when did you realize where it's just like, whoa, people are consuming my content. This is a fan base that's very knowledgeable, very passionate. When did you realize that from not just a fan standpoint growing up, but from when you started covering them for Steelers Depot?
1: I think it's always been evident. I think you always feel that. I think Steelers Nation is a fantastic fan base and you're right they are extremely knowledgeable. For me, I probably got that full feeling the first time I went to go cover training camp and have these, you know, daily logs about mm-hmm. what happened and I didn't know if anyone would care or not. If it was just me talking to myself or, or if there would be really interest in, you know, everything that happened at St. Vincent one day and the response was really, you know, overwhelmingly positive. And you kind of realize, OK, there is a real appetite for more than just he did well, he didn't do well, but the real mm-hmm. in-depth and try to cover, you know, the entire roster one to 90 from, you know, what the quarterback did to who's the backup long snapper. And and to see that appetite and, and a desire for sealer fans to care about that stuff um, probably was my first awakening to, OK, this fan base really takes it to the next level.
0: Absolutely. And I know that like preseason, I always make the analogy that it can be like a war reenactment. Uh, I get that from my guy, Dave Damashek, but I will say this. If you're not able to make it to La Trobe and St. Vincent college, Alex, I look at your coverage where you'll go snap by snap of what's going on. And again, I know it's practice and not a game, but to actually be boots on the ground with your coverage, that's something that like I've watched from afar to where it's hit. Like, I will tell you this too. Your coverage of the team helps me prep for this show week in and week out. So I, I wanted to thank you for that. And that's really the reason I'm having you on today as well.
1: <laughs> no, I appreciate you saying that. I know my coverage is over the top. That's done intentionally. My whole thought process is because there are so many Steeler fans, not only in the U.S., but but globally, that not everyone yep. can attend La Trobe, obviously. And so my thought is I want to make you feel like you're sitting right next to me At practice. So is it over the top? Yes. Is everything there incredibly important? Probably not. But it is all one piece of that large puzzle that tries to paint that picture of what happened that day. And you just never know what could happen. What could be useful? Something you write about on day three, you might, you know, forget about and, and go back a week later and say, oh, yeah, that actually was important information just based on what transpired or comparing past years to future years. Um, I think it all matters. And so it's, I'd rather have it and not need it than not have it and think, man, I wish I would have written that down or what, what happened here on this day, because camp can jumble together. It's hard to keep things straight. And so if you write things down clearly um, it creates a really good kind of trail for what happened.
0: What would you say is like your goal in the next five to 10 to 20 years with your Steelers coverage or football coverage?
1: Yeah, I think for Steelers Depot is just to make it the best site possible. We're growing our team. We're adding more people. Um, you know, maybe that could mean more media credential type stuff. Maybe that means more video type stuff. But it is my focus just on making Steelers Depot the biggest and best Steelers site out there.
0: Alex, I, I would just say from my personal experience, too, and I look at a lot of the like layoffs right now. You said ESPN. It's happened with The Athletic as well. I'm of the thought process of rising tide lifts all masks where it's like, I want everyone to have as much success in this industry as possible because I see the reality and the cutbacks in other industries. A lot of times it's TV, but it's just like, look, if if this person is standing to succeed, you can do that and and provide your own niche. You got to differentiate your coverage a little bit. But I guess I am of the thought process where it's like, if this person is having success, then it's like, then that kind of charts out my own pathway selfishly as well. So it's just like, I I wish you all the success with that in all seriousness, because, you know, it really breaks my heart when I see a lot of talented people that right now aren't employed. And it's like, well, they're out in the talent pool. If they find a similar role to what they were in before people that are really, really, really strong in what they do with their coverage. And a lot of times too, it's, the institutional knowledge that you don't get unless you've been doing a craft for years and years and years and years.
1: Yeah, I think it's a really good point. And it is, it is tough to see all those layoffs. I really can't speak to those situations because I I just don't have the knowledge really of -hmm. what's going into that. I just know for us, you know, we just keep trying to do our thing and we're a fully independent website and have been, and I anticipate we always will be. And, And that has its benefits and its challenges, but we just keep trying to grow and, and add people and I'm somebody that you know was just doing this on the side in college and now it's it's my actual job. So um, I'm really grateful for that, thankful for that and just trying to to build our team up so the people that we're bringing along can can have the same path that I've taken.
0: All right, I've got a few more questions about you personally, Alex. The, the first question I saw in your bio on Steelersdepot.com that you've got cheaty. Chidi- Iwoma is your favorite Steelers player. I hope I'm not butchering his last nope, name. You got it. You nailed it. I had to put a pronouncer in just because <laughs> it's been many moons since he suited up in a Steelers uniform. Why is he your favorite Steeler of
1: all time? Because I'm weird, basically. But I think <laughs> I think the name was part of it when I was a kid, because it, it it was an interesting name, but but more to it. I love special teamers. I love the guys that do the grunt work that people don't talk about, but have real value. You no know, one values special teams until something goes wrong, and then you realize how important and valuable special teams are. And he was a tremendous gunner for the Pittsburgh Steelers. They had some really good specialists back then, whether it was him, Sean Morey, Clint Creedwall. Like those were dudes that were the anchors and as important on special teams as. You know, Troy was on defense or Ben was on offense. And so you love those guys that do all that kind of stuff. Don't get the glory. But if you're on the other side as a team, you know that that's an impact player. Remember, Bill Cowher said that, you know, every week, special teams coaches would, would double team and have to plan to take away Chidi Iwoma. And so um, just a really cool story there. And he's still with the team. He's now a, a, an area scout out west. So it's cool to see him still remain with Pittsburgh.
0: Comes full circle. So that's a great transition into the current team right now. We'll, this is going to be a very wide-ranging conversation, Alex, but <laughs> the Steelers return man in 2023, I guess, kind of here's where I come down with this. It's, okay, if the rules to the kickoffs have changed to the point where a kick return man is rendered, I'm not going to say useless, but one thing I'm very curious about is is, do the number of returns greatly diminish given the current rule changes? That being one, then do you want to use a 53-man roster spot on a player that is solely focused and dedicated on the kick return game? Could that player also serve as your punt returner? For me, I'd love to see Calvin Austin the thrive in this role as the Steelers return man in 2023. I think Alfonso Graham has an opportunity as an undrafted running back as well. You no know, Gunnar Oshewski's still on the roster, too. What say you, Alex Cazorro, who is the Steelers' return man in 2023?
1: I would say Calvin Austin probably has the best chance based on his skill set and odds to make the team, but it is pretty wide open. And to your first question, I think ideally, even before the rule change, you would like your return man to do both, do kicks and punts. Mm -hmm. They are different skill sets. Not everyone can do both, but it is the most efficient use of your roster. I think certainly as you're seeing the anticipation being the kick returns will reduce by about seven to 10% this year with the rule change, you would ideally want that guy to do both, you know, even more so. And I think Austin is capable of being that guy, although he really did not do kicks in college. And so it will be something a little bit new for him. So he's going to probably be the favorite. Olszewski will be in that mix as well. You mentioned Graham, Anthony McFarlane has done kicks before, but he's not done punts. And so that's going to be a very narrow path. And so I think I'll put it this way. whoever's Whoever's the kick returner cannot just be the kick returner and, and not provide value elsewhere. He's got to be able to do punt return or do something else on special teams or his side of the ball to help the Steelers. So you can't, I think the days of the old pure kick returner are basically gone.
0: I go back to what Mike Tomlin says when he's asked about Calvin Austin the third, who's essentially is going to be a rookie this year due to the fact that he didn't play last year as uh, as a result of injuries, but. They're asking him, okay, what's what does he bring to the table? And it's speed. Uh, get him the ball in the open field with space. And he doesn't have the same size as other receivers. I mean, I've seen he's his listed at like 160, and it's like, okay, if he's 160, 170, 180 pounds, soaking wet, uh, you're gonna need to get him the ball in space to where he can wiggle, he can maneuver, and do something with the ball. Now i I also get, I guess I approach this from the standpoint of this as well. Is, um, I had Jeff Hartman on from Steelers, uh, uh Steelers Curtain Network, and he was saying how, in his ideal world, and this will never happen, but in, in his ideal world, he would love to see Deontay Johnson go back as a punt returner again, like he did several years back. And he's like, you know, what's the difference between having Deontay back there, considering that back in the day you had San Antonio Holmes, back in the day you had AB back there. I don't want to see Deontay get hurt. I want to see him get back to his Pro Bowl ways as a receiver. But Jeff brought up a great point in that Steelers haven't had a punt return touchdown since 2019, Alex. It's been too many moons (laughs) since the Steelers have had a punt return touchdown. So it's like you mentioned special teams really stand out when things go wrong. I guess I just approach it from the standpoint of having grown up watching Devin Hester. I grew up in the Chicago suburbs, what a game changer he was. And I know he's the greatest of all time to do it, but how he can flip a field and at the very least causing an opposing punt team to play very, very conservatively. If you can put your offense in a field position advantage consistently, especially with a young offense, still with a year or two of Kenny Pickett, what an advantage that can be for the rest of the team. So This is an area I'd like to see the Steelers have as an advantage versus it's just kind of been a nothing burger for the last several years. That's just my opinion.
1: Sure. It's a fair point. And yeah, that last punt return touchdown was Deontay, I believe against Arizona and you would like to have that, that those splash plays because I, I don't know what the numbers say specifically, but I imagine the winning percentage for teams that have a, a kick or punt return for a touchdown is pretty high. I bet you don't lose many many games when you have a big splash player on special teams like that. And you're right. Pittsburgh's history is rich with electric return men, whether it's Randall L, Rod Woodson, um, AB, as you mentioned. But but there's a line to walk there. Obviously, Deontay's value offensively and you are increasing injury risk. And so I, I don't think Deontay um, will, will get that role back there. I, I guess for me, I mean, I would like that those splash plays, but you just don't want to be the guy that, that screws it up. And, and Gunnar Roshevsky yep. lost his job last year because he was muffing punts and there was a risk there. And, and Pittsburgh, the model last year was, and the model will basically be the same this year. You cannot turn the ball over. I mean, the, the clear correlation between when Pittsburgh takes care of the football, they win, when they turn the ball over, they lose. That was basically, you know, a, a one-to-one correlation last year. So just find guys who make smart decisions can maybe occasionally make that big play. I think Austin is capable of doing that, um, and that's probably the way the Pittsburgh will approach it.
0: Yeah, and I want to see, can history repeat itself? Because the last time the Steelers opened a season at home in week one, you had A-B kicking punters in the face. So <laughs> we'll see if history repeats itself this year, Alex. But uh, we mentioned the offense, year two of Kenny Pickett. What does that look like? The floor is yours.
1: Just progress. I I think that's the word that I can use for Kenny Pickett in year one was progression. And that's kind of what you're looking for from a rookie. It was a bumpy year for him and for this offense. It was the youngest offense in football uh, by a pretty considerable margin, uh, statistically speaking. And for Pickett to come in, you know, week four of that Jets game and and go and, and then your first start is week five on the road at Buffalo. That is that is getting thrown into the fire and they get blown out that game, obviously. But you saw Pickett battle. Saw this offense battle and get better. And you saw those clutch moments against the Raiders and the Ravens. I think that to me, that Ravens drive was even more impressive than the Raiders game because I thought there were a couple more higher level throws against Baltimore to Fryermuth on a scramble drill. I think his best throw the entire year was Steven Sims down that right seam to play after. That was just a dime uh, between the safety over the top and the underneath defender and Kyle Hamilton. And for me in Pittsburgh, you're defined by what you do against Baltimore. You know, if you can beat the Ravens, they're going to build statues for you. And to have Pickett make those plays on the road, prime time, against the Ravens was really encouraging. Now, are there things to work on? Sure. I mean, obviously, you want to see more production, red zone production, You know, multi-touchdown pass games. Red zone uh, completion percentage has to be raised. It was basically the worst in the NFL last year. I think his accuracy, even on the short game, needs some work. He's regarded as an accurate quarterback. I think he is intermediately. I think he can be accurate. I think there were some ball placement issues towards the, the flats and some of those sideline throws last year. Pocket presence has to improve as well in terms of hanging in the pocket, not bailing. Um, I think he got better at scrambling to throw and not scrambling to run last year, keeping his eyes downfield. There was progression there. want to see that continue, but Um, obviously this will be a run heavy run centric approach, but there will be times where Kenny Pickett will be counted on and he'll have to step up and make those plays. But short answer is, you know, encouraged by that. Can you build off how you left off last year? If he can do that, it'll be a successful season for him and a successful season for the Pittsburgh Steelers.
0: Yeah. You mentioned the scrambling to throw. I think it's more just the scrambling to extend the play and there was stuff Pickett was doing in the back half of the 2022 season that is the difference between winning and losing in the NFL, which is very marginal at times. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, I go back to the Atlanta game where it's late in the game and he decides to scramble. I don't even think he picks up the first down. But he, he goes down and keeps the clock moving. I believe Atlanta had to either use a timeout or the clock continued to run. Steelers actually put their defense back out onto the field. And, you know, uh, Cam Hayward, Bull Rush, makeup Fitzpatrick, interception puts the game away late. And so it's like small things like that that don't show up in a stat sheet that I think can be a real difference maker with Kenny Pickett now that he has game experience going into year two versus if he had sat for the majority of last season. A um, few other things I want to, I wrote down several things when you were talking there. You're defined by what you do against Baltimore. You can't see this, but the, uh, the hair on my <laughs> arm is standing up <laughs> by you saying that. One of the best rivalries in all of sports. Um, it lives up to the hype every single time. And then another thing as well, you mentioned too, Alex. You said the youngest roster from an offensive standpoint in the NFL. Also the lowest paid. You had that dichotomy last year where you have mm-hmm. the highest paid defense, but the lowest paid offense, and this is a point I brought up here on Believe in Steve, there's several times you wanted progression with the offense last year, yet Deontay Johnson, who is currently 27 years old, he was like the elder statesman on the entire offense, and it, specifically from the skill position players a season ago now you bring in Allen Robinson, now you bring in some veteran players, and you get more depth as well with some of the fresh blood from the draft. That, to me, to where you're, what you have to do, and the reason you keep Matt Canada around is the continuity with the young quarterback. But your baseline for 2023, you've got to pick up where you left off last season.
1: Yeah, I agree, and you're right. It is. It was important to get a guy like Allen Robinson because when Pittsburgh's had those successful offenses, they've had that veteran receiver, whether that's uh, Darius Hayward, Bay, Jericho Cottry. They've had that guy that wasn't the All Star, didn't make all the plays, but was kind of that glue guy in that locker room that could show a young group uh, the way and kind of how to approach things. That's important. Isaac Say Malu along the offensive line. That's going to be. Uh, That was and will be an important ad for this team. And and even for the guys that are still young, like George Pickens is obviously still young, but I mean, he's grown up so much compared to a year ago because he's gone through a rookie season and gotten the play and the ups and downs. And he had certainly his fair share of both. And um, so even though it's still going to be a pretty young offense overall, you have these year two guys that have a ton of experience in Pickett and Warren and and George Pickens. And so they're going to grow and be you know, older, quote unquote, than your typical second year player, because they went through a lot in their rookie years and will be better off because of it.
0: If I have one request of the offense this year, Alex, it is this, let's please utilize George Pickens in other ways than just <laughs> a nine route on a third down and long. That's <laughs> <laughs> like, in all seriousness to where it's like, okay, he can, he can bail us out again with either an acrobatic catch or uh, a pass interference penalty to get him the ball in space in creative ways beyond just, oh, it's third down eight, third down and 12, where, oh, let's just go throw it up to George Pickens and mm-hmm. see if he can make a freak show play. And sure. I'm excited to see what he can do with his other Georgia college, college teammates. whether Whenever Broderick Jones, uh, the Steelers start him, I don't know if he'll start right off the bat as the first round pick. Um, And then agent zero Washington at the tight end position as well. A lot of teams are doing this to where they'll draft players that all played together collegiately. And I mean, like it seems to be working out for several teams. I could point to the Eagles. I could point to the Bengals. Uh, There are several others. So let's go there though. Uh, Let's go on the offensive line. Well, can, you... I just, can
1: I just respond to, to Pickett's comment just in. really briefly? Yeah, I, I, you're right. He needs to be more than just a vertical clear-out guy, but I think he was pretty raw coming out of Georgia. Uh, you know, I think that was basically what he did with the Bulldogs, and he, he missed that 2021 season, almost entirely returned very late with that torn ACL, and so I think he was a pretty raw guy in his route tree. He's got to work on his route tree and expand that. Okay. You saw some signs late last season. He was playing in the slot more. The route tree became more varied, but... Um, I, I would put that less on, on the scheme and just kind of more on Pickens being kind of a, a raw guy that, you know, did one thing really well last year, but this is the year year two, where he's got to be able to offer more in Pittsburgh. We'll have to utilize him more varied than just being the, the vertical guy.
0: Let me ask you this then at the receiver position, who's at the X, who's at the Y and who's playing in the slot.
1: Yeah, X will be Deontay Z will be Pickens, you know, slot will be Allen Robinson, Calvin Austin, and these guys will mix and match. It's not going to be completely static, but that'll be the framework of your of your offense. Deontay stole the X, Pickens the Z, Robinson and Austin, your slot receivers.
0: Okay. Uh I do want to go to Broderick Jones. I love this trade because the enemy of my enemy is a friend in the trade up with the Patriots to say, hey, we are going to prevent the Jets from selecting Jones at 15. Here you go, Pittsburgh at 14. Take the Georgia dog, and then, hey, we'll get Christian Gonzalez in return. But how soon is too soon to start him? And maybe it's something we have to see how he he stacks up against Dan Moore Jr. at the left tackle position because I'm just looking at the schedule, right? 49ers week one, Nick Bosa, ESPN just rated him the best edge rusher in the league. We can get into that too if you'd like. Week two, Miles Garrett, we know what he can do in Cleveland. Then week three against Max Crosby and the Raiders. That's tough going early on uh, for any left tackle, let alone a rookie. So how do you think this shakes out at the left tackle position? Broderick Jones, Dan Moore Jr. How do you think this plays out?
1: It'll be the most intense and fun camp battle of the entire Mm -hmm. roster. I don't know who's going to win it that schedule is daunting. There's no question about that. It would not deter me. I wouldn't not start Broderick Jones because of that, because if I trade up for this guy and Dean, he's my future franchise left tackle. I'm not going to be scared of that schedule. No one, he's going to take his lumps and he's going to have his problems, but welcome to the NFL, You're left tackle in the NFL. You're going to take your lumps at some point. Might as well do it, uh, you know, sooner than later when he's ready, of course. And that's going to be the question there. I think, Dan Moore is going to give Jones a heck of a fight. I think Dan Moore's improved. He's the incumbent. He's now a third-year guy. He's a second-year in Pat Meyer's system. And I really want to see how Jones looks in Meyer's system because it is a bit unique. It is a bit different. It's a little bit more aggressive with some of these on-body sets and the first significant contact that Meyer preaches. And you saw the Steelers O-line last year struggle in nearly early going. Uh, James Daniels, I thought, had a you know really tough time in the summer as he adjusted to that kind of new scheme. How will Jones adjust to it? We'll have to see. So, you know, I would not be surprised if, if Moore was this week one starter, would not be shocked if, if Jones was the week one starter. I just think it'll be a really good battle throughout. They're two hardworking, humble guys that, you know, I think will help each other. There's no selfishness or ego uh, between either of those men. And I think it makes for a really fun battle. My, my one concern, just briefly, is let's say that Dan Moore wins the left tackle job. Does mm-hmm. Broderick Jones become the swing man? How much right tackle experience will he get this summer? He's got a little bit of it at Georgia, but most on the left side. Can he be the mm-hmm. swing guy? He gets a little messy there, so we'll have to, to wait and see. But, um, yeah, I think it's going to be a really fun battle between those two.
0: Alex, you're in my brain, which is a dangerous place <laughs> to be. I was going to ask the same question of Dan Moore Jr. is if and when Broderick Jones wins that left tackle position, can Dan Moore Jr. move to another position on the offensive line? Because you have him and Chooks or Corfor under contract each for the next two seasons, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah, I think that's a little bit easier to map out because Moore should get some right tackle work in camp. I believe he got some in OTAs, and and he's not played a lot there. He played a little bit early in his college career. He's been a left tackle, but... He's gonna get more reps at right tackle this summer, I assume, than, than Broderick Jones will. So if Jones mm-hmm. wins the job, I would expect Moore to become the swing man, the, the backup left tackle, right tackle. That's probably easier to project out than if Moore wins it. And if, if Moore does win it, where does Jones fall and all that? Um mm-hmm. or, 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 it's a little bit harder to kind of map that stuff out. So um we'll see. But but yeah, it, it's either gonna be you know, more at left tackle, a core four right tackle, or Jones left tackle, a core four right tackle, and, and uh, Dan Moore is the backup. So that's kind of the, the scenarios.
0: I see, I see. Now, the one thing I would say too is if Dan Moore Jr. does win the job for the first several weeks of the 2023 season, I'm not saying he has Miles Garrett's number, but they share this Texas A&M connection where Dan Moore Jr. typically holds up decently well against his former college teammate
1: yeah I again I think there were strides made I thought he was better last year than his rookie year I know his rookie year the first game he got toasted and the stats won't show that but there were some you know I remember Najee Harris bailing out Dan Moore on one kind of chip on on Miles Garrett late in that game against the Browns and Moore's rookie year but yeah it's always a battle and and as you said that schedule is very daunting to begin with with uh Nick Bosa in week one and Garrett week two I know Crosby is generally a left defensive end he'll play on the other side for the most part, but they got uh, the rookie there and what Tyree Wilson that, that probably see a lot of the left tackle in Pittsburgh. So it is a tough start and Garrett's, you know, the, probably the freakiest pass rusher in the NFL. So that's always a big time challenge.
0: What do you make of the possibility of Aaron Donald on the move and possibly to Pittsburgh? I think it makes for a nice headline. I know the Steelers do have some salary cap right now, but, What do you make of this? I don't want to put words in your mouth. What do you make of it? And I'll add my two cents worth.
1: I make of it that it's July 12th and we're running out of things to talk about. And listen, I don't know what Donald's career arc will be. I get he could be on the move with the way the Rams are kind of, you know, they were all in. Now they're kind of all out. But it's July 12th. There's really nothing of substance right now. We can talk about this in maybe November, but to me, it's a a non-story right now.
0: Listen, if TJ Watt wants to be on the Wheaties box yet again, bring Aaron Donald to Pittsburgh, let's get that seventh Lombardi trophy. That's the pathway to doing that yet again, Alex. That's how I see this.
1: Yeah, no, it is. That kind of speaks to the the headlines right now is is the Watts on a Wheaties box and Donald quote unquote trade rumors that uh, the training camp cannot come soon enough.
0: Hey, listen, we've got Madden ratings as well coming here soon. I think next week that is. So that's always a lot of fun as well to be like, oh, you know, this person's <laughs> traded higher than this player. And like, Are you look, a Madden guy? Do you play? Do you play at all? See, it's funny you say that. I used to back in the day. And when Ike and I were starting this show here, I knew of Ike due to the fact that I played Madden as a kid. And they were like, okay. oh, we have a Steelers defensive back. Uh, Ike Taylor, and I'm like, the DB and they're like, yeah. And I'm like, okay. I know Ike from playing in Madden. And so, um, as a kid, as a kid, I did a lot. I mean, I- I'll say this, Alex. Um, I have an Xbox 360, and this was several years ago. Uh, I've got a friend who's a big time gamer, and I'm looking to buy. Uh, Might have been like the new FIFA game. I'm like, hey, like you know, I'm trying to buy this new game, but I don't see Xbox 360 as an option you to buy the game they start laughing at me like listen mark they stopped making for games for that console <laughs> years ago so that's where i'm at what about you
1: i was uh growing up as a kid like the the golden era was definitely Madden 05, 06, 07 that was i played that all day today yeah. the game has really regressed pretty hard like the last last madden i bought was madden 19 i think it was with, with ab on the cover the game just really was a hard play so i have not bought it in, in several years but Yeah, give me old school, Madden 07, that's my jam.
0: I know that everyone makes a big deal out of the year that Michael Vick was on the cover, but to me it was the year, and I hate to admit this, Ray Lewis was on the cover because I remember that was the year they introduced the hit stick, and that was a really big deal where it was just like, okay, you can make a a huge hit defensively. Uh, Michael Vick was like a cheat code in that game, and the strategy was always, okay, if you're going up against someone – one of your friends who's using Vic as their quarterback, you just have to play with the Falcons as well. So you fight fire with fire.
1: Yeah, that was Madden 04 with Vic when you could just run around for days and then 05 the following year. They tried to nerf that with Ray Lewis on the cover and the hit stick and all that. So yeah, that was the that was the fun day. And today just obviously there's the microtransactions and all this stuff, and that's ruined a lot of games. So uh, don't really play it anymore, but yeah, I'll, I, I'm a PlayStation guy. So we're kind of enemies. So, I don't, uh, yeah, we're a little different <laughs> there. I was Listen, always team, team Sony. If they start making games for 360 again, I'm back <laughs> in, I'm back in. Right. Uh, in. In PS2, then I'll dust out my PS2 yes. and we'll, we'll play.
0: Yeah. Classic, classic. A uh, few other things to get to Alex, Alex Highsmith entering the final year of his contract. I've been calling the offseason the wrath of Khan Omar Khan and his first Offseason, as the general manager, has been very, very aggressive. Uh, I think this is his last move, the ace up his sleeve, getting a contract done before the start of the 2023 season. I look back at last season, they get Minkus deals done. On the eve of the 2021 season, they get T.J. Watt done. I think this is the last move. Uh, And again, they have the salary cap space to do it to say, hey, we're going to pair you and T.J. Watt together for the foreseeable future.
1: Yeah, I'm with you. I think a deal will get done before week one. I don't know exactly when, hopefully before training camp. So there is no hold in, not that it's the end of the world. I'm not begrudging Highsmith if that's the path that he takes, but you would love the deal to get done before Mm -hmm. camp. So you're just ready to go and you're hitting the ground running, but I think a deal will get done before week one. And so, yeah, I mean, Last year, Con was busy. It was Minka before camp, and then even during camp, they got Boz and Deontay done about a week or two in. And so I think Highsmith, Mm -hmm. if it doesn't happen before camp, it'll happen about the same timeline, one to two weeks in the training camp. Highsmith will have a long-term deal.
0: All right. Last thing I want to ask you about. I know you go to training camp St. Vincent College, Latrobe, PA. July the 26th, the players report. What I want to ask you is you've been doing this now for years. What's like the craziest story you have since you've been going to training camp in
1: Latrobe? That's a good question. Um, I think the first thing that jumped to mind was last year and I might be muddying some of the the details, but it was when you had the Davis brothers, you had Carlos and Khalil Davis. And at Mm -hmm. the end of one play, I believe it was Khalil Kind of got into a little scrum with one of the offensive linemen, and you just see Carlos, who's not even on the field in that play, he was on the sidelines, come running from the sideline, just sprinting over and just cold clocking whoever the offensive lineman was, just to defend his brother, and leads to the whole the whole scrum. They break it up. I mean, everything's fine, but mm-hmm. just like because it, it just happened in slow motion, where I just kind of look up and you just see like Carlos just arms pumping, just full sprint, just to go get uh, the guy that's going after his brother, and so that's probably right up there and then to go a little older school uh how about remember uh big dan mccullers he was a big teddy bear like one year he just started scrapping just started like like someone pissed him off one day and he got into a fight with somebody it was like all right you know big dan a little little fight a little fire in him so i just remember like that with big dan where it's like okay this guy's got a little something in, in him and he's he stuck in, in pittsburgh for six years which uh you know kudos to him
0: the heat does something to the players on the field, <laughs> yeah. Alex, I swear. And I, I've asked that question to other people. and I get a different response every single time.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think of some other ones in terms of like crazy stuff. But I mean, obviously, you know, just some of the battles that AB had, just watching him work, yeah. you know, post-practice. I mean, just catching 150 balls a- after every every single practice and, you know, just some of the 1v1s he would do. Uh, obviously, you can say what you can say about, about everything, you know, post Steelers career. But but as a player, his work ethic and, and, and the 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 art of route running that he kind of, you know, created for himself was something that uh, should not be forgotten.
0: Yeah. It, Ike always mentions how he and AB got into a fight on family day. So that's the one <laughs> he always brings up with me. And then uh, we talked with Steelers color analyst Craig Wolfley who you know, played for the team back in the 80s, but is now the color analyst. And I, I guess he had a battle in the parking lot with a skunk in Latrobe last year. <laughs> so it's always fun asking that question because I never know what kind of response I'm going to get. Because sometimes it's on the field, sometimes it's off the field right. as well
1: right yeah for me it's probably more more on the field i i just know there's going to be one day where it's going to rain and pour like the weather's usually good but you get that one just you know muddy type of day and so that's that's a little less fun but yeah camp's a blast it's uh it just i just love the pittsburgh still goes away still travels you know go out to latrobe get away from everything you know st vincent college it's a beautiful area i take the back way to get into the the college and you, you cross this one bridge and the whole thing opens up It just really cool, really special. Um, I, I love how accessible it is for the fans. It's free. I mean, mm-hmm. you don't see many teams doing that and having things open to the public. So it's a, it's a really cool environment and it's something that you appreciate Pittsburgh continuing to do. Cause it'd be easy to just close things off and, and, and work at your practice facility. And it's probably easier logistically to do that. But um, I think it's a really unique experience, you know, for these guys to be on the same field that Chuck Knoll and Bradshaw and Joe green were all those years and decades ago to keep that tradition going is really special
0: the foundation. And it's like, anytime you ask of like, okay, what, what former Steelers player would you add to the current roster? The answer is always mean Joe green. Always.
1: Yes. Yes. There's a correct answer to that question. And it is mean, Joe green. And that's
0: the foundation of what we know the Steelers as today, all these years later. And uh, you know, an hour outside of Pittsburgh, We've talked to various other people, other media members, other people have covered the team, Alex, and they're always like, look, you know, some people will go to an exotic vacation, they'll go to the Caribbean or a a really nice beach. A lot of people said, hey, I want to spend my time supporting the team and going to La Trobe and getting that, you know, almost backyard feel and that access to players that you just can't really get anywhere else. So the fact that they've continued this tradition now for five plus decades is just really remarkable.
1: Yeah. And they hit, I mean, it's the most physical practice you hear any yeah. you know, national media guys say that in other camps, they, there's maybe thud tackling. They never go to the ground in Pittsburgh. They hit every day that they're in pads. So it's a run session where they're full tackling. And, and that in itself is kind of a, a dying breed in the NFL. And so that's kind of the other special aspect where, You know, when they practice, they practice. There's none of this, you know, two-hand touch and we'll thud tackle and we're not going to the ground. Um, You know, the the pads are going to pop and and that's pretty unique in this day and age.
0: And that's something too where it's like you hear it more so than you even see it. It's just like if you're not paying attention, it's just like, whoa, what was that? Sounds like a car crash.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Backs on backers. You know, The first day Pats come on, they do backs on backers. Vince Williams was the king of backs on backers. Like You could see the fear in some running backs eyes when they'd have to step in against number 98. Like his power was uh, was off the charts. And
0: see, you say that about Vince Williams. I love to hear that because a lot of people think about the touchdown. <laughs> D-hop scored against <laughs> the, the Texans. And he's laying down in the end yeah. zone. Oh, man. Awesome guy. Uh, Alex, anything you want to plug here? Uh, I want to give you the floor. Thank you so much for taking the time here for me. I believe in Steelers this morning, but anything you want to plug of what you're working on over at Steelers Depot?
1: Yeah, you can just follow the site Steelers Depot Our training camp coverage. will ramp up here pretty soon. We have our, our daily diary as I call it, which is our full, you know, log of practice. Whenever uh, those things kick up, you can follow me on Twitter at Alex underscore and uh, follow the site at Steelers Depot and just appreciate the support. Training camp's a lot of fun. Uh, if, if you're happy, if you're a fan, happen to be there, just say hello to me. Uh, I'd be happy to talk to you. Um, and just, yeah, uh, appreciate the love from Steelers Nation. It's a it's a really special and fun fan base. And, um, you know, to me, you know, they're, they're what make our site possible, you know, with our comment section and t- Twitter following and all that kind of stuff. I and mean, without those guys, we wouldn't have the, the platform that we do. So just really appreciative of that fact.
0: Alex, keep doing your thing. Thank you for taking the time for me. I'll go ahead and sign off for the both of us. For today's guest, Alex Kazora, I'm Mark Bergen. Thank you so much for watching the Believe in Steelers show. We'll see you next time. Until then, take care. So long, everybody.